0: Alright, good morning. morning. It's chilly. (laughs) I'll I'll have to talk extra fast this morning. We'll get through this. But, you know, what? fact, it is chilly. But uh, you guys are here, and I believe that uh, God is, is true in His promises. Where two or three are gathered together, there He is in the midst of us. So, um... Uh, we'll go ahead and get going this morning, and maybe our group will grow. And and uh, but it's a good start. My favorite race of the year, Ironman. It's the last race of the season, and always uh, always a fun one. So, but obviously, I'm standing before you with a broken wing, uh, which is no big deal for all of us. We're all racers. It happens. It happened at uh, for me. It happened at St. Clairsville, and a lot of you guys jumped in and while well, I was at the hospital getting X-rays and all, uh, tore down my pitch for me. So thanks a lot for everybody just jumping in. I'll, I'll tell you the last uh, major. Um, surgery or accident that i had was on my wrist about eight years ago and i was not living for jesus christ at the time and uh, I, I had a lot of drinking buddies i didn't have any friends to take me to the hospital and pick me up i was taking taxi cabs to the hospital and stuff and this time just what god has done in my life in the last few years it's amazing i've got more people more people than uh, i can use so thank you so much um god is god is so good so uh lord thanks a lot for this morning thanks um for bringing us to this place we're excited to be here at the last round there's a lot on the line but first before we do anything we want to give you the first part of our day and we invite you to be the uh the priority of our day so would you just open our hearts and our minds and um, use me to communicate your truth in jesus name amen all right so we're at the last round and I've been, uh, I've been praying uh, for, for a little while, what should I be speaking on here at the Iron Man? What, should, uh, you know, what's, what God do you want to say to us? What are you doing in my life? Because that's usually where my messages come from, is whatever God's doing in my life, that's kind of what I pass along to you. And I was, I, was, uh, I was reading and I was praying and I was looking back through, uh, through the past year, and I, I came across a quote that said, when you go to church, people tend to forget 80% of what they hear within the first hour of leaving the church. Thanks a lot, guys. But <laughs> it's true, I preach it and I tend to forget it So I'm looking back through my notes I've got all this stuff written down that we've gone through this year And uh, and I'm just thinking, you know What's God been doing this year? What's he up to? Last year we kind of came up with this theme The guy created us on purpose and for a purpose uh, What's he doing this year? What do we deal with that? Well, we kind of actually have been building on that And so what I want to do this morning is, is a message Very different from anything I've ever done before It's kind of it's different, but I am going to re-preach all twelve messages, but I am going to condense it down into into uh, twenty minutes. So if if you can stick with me, here's kind of here's kind of what happens. You know, at the end of last year, we learned that God created us on purpose for a purpose. He wants to do something incredible in our lives. He there are no mistakes with God. He is doing something, but we have this problem. And the problem is is that we were we were born into sin. And we looked at this earlier this here. Lady Gaga, you know, the theologian or actually the pop star singer, Lady Gaga. She says, "Baby." You were born that way. And, of course, she's talking about the homosexual lifestyle. But I agree with her. You were born that way. You were born into sin. You were born with this sin nature. Um, I told a story about going on a blind date last year. And these are always fun with me. I don't know how. I get myself into these situations. And I'll have to write a book about it someday. But I'm on this blind date with this girl. And somehow this subject comes up. And uh, I said, well, you know what? I believe that people can be born into sin that way. I mean, the way that I was born and the way that I want to operate my life is that I want to hump every girl I see. And I just went on talking. And her jaw just hit the floor, and she's looking at me, and I was like, what what did I say? I said, and she's like, are you serious about what you said about the girls? I said, oh, but I want to hump every girl I see. She's like, yeah. I said, well, no. And I kid you not. (laughs) I didn't think about it. I, if I'd have thought about it, I wouldn't have said this. But I, I, she said, were you serious about that? I said, oh, about humping every girl I see? I said, no, I was exaggerating. I wouldn't hump every girl. Just the pretty ones. <laughs> and, we, and we did not get a second date out of that. <laughs> but it is true. We were born into sin. That's the way we want to operate. Now, on my way up to this race, I had an opportunity. I had the privilege to stop off in Louisville, Kentucky and speak to a youth group. Uh, on wednesday night and at the end of the youth group we do this question and answer thing where they could throw random questions at me and a question that came up more than once was what is sin and to define that we have to go all the way back to the first book in the bible genesis god created the world in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and when god created it he said it is good everything he created it is good and then at the end of it he said let us make man in our image in the image of god god created Adam and Eve. We were created in a perfect world. We were created in perfect bodies. We were created in perfect harmony with God. So the world was perfect. But God had once to give us and He put Adam and Eve in this perfect garden. He said, it's a perfect world. There's one thing you can't do. Don't eat of that tree. And, uh, and And the question comes up, well, why did God put that tree in there? If they couldn't eat of it, why did He put it in there? God never told us why He put that tree in there. But common sense tells us that you can't have true love if it's not a choice. And so Adam and Eve had the choice. And of course, the serpent comes along, that old serpent, the devil, he comes along. And uh, And he says, Hey, Adam and Eve, don't you know that God's holding out on you? What do you mean? Well, if you eat of that tree, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. Well, at that point, all they knew was good. Everything was good. What? God's holding out on me. The same lie happens to us today. Hey, don't you know God's holding out on you? God says, Don't, get to, don't drink to excess. Don't get drunk because it's bad. But Satan comes along and says, don't you know God's holding out on you? Getting drunk is a lot of fun. Alright? God says, don't commit adultery. But did you see your neighbor when she came out of her house the other day? God's holding out on you. And we fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Every single one of us. And that's what sin is. It comes in and interrupts the relationship that we were built for with with, with God. Alright? And so um, uh, (laughs) Paul says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone is sin. Wages of sin is death. And that's what God said. If you eat of this, you will surely die. Sin uh, sin comes in, and death comes along along with sin. And, uh, and so, when we realize what we've done, and that that relationship is broken, Paul goes on and he explains to us, For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin, but this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And so you see, we restore, we have the opportunity to restore that relationship for which we were built for, which we were created for, we can restore that through Jesus Christ. But for most of us here at this racetrack, I would dare say, that's a weird thought. Because most of us came up thinking, you know what, if I'm a good person, then God's going to be good with me. I ask the question all the time, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Well, I don't know. I think I hope so. <laughs> I think I hope so. Uh, you know, I've always tried to be good. I don't kill anybody. I'm not an adulterer. I don't lie, cheat, steal as best as I can. So I think at the end of the, at the end of time, God's going to be good with me. And so we looked at this as snowshoe. Is God going to be good with you? And I, I broke it down this way. I used an example of one of my favorite characters, Evil Knievel. Love evil, I, I guess I was born in the 70s. I love the 70s. So Evil can Evil. He's the grandfather. He's the pioneer of modern day action sports. And uh, for years, he tried setting a long distance record on his motorcycle. And he would jump, and he would launch. and He tried to set a world record for how far you can jump a motorcycle, and he would crash. And he could never land them. And instead of setting a world record for how far you can jump a bike, he ended up setting a world record for how many bones you can break in your body. And finally, 1975, October 1975, 38 years ago, Evil Knievel goes to Kings Island. And he lines up 19 Greyhound buses side-by-side, side, 133 feet. He jumps over those on his Harley-Davidson XR750, and he somehow lands it. And he hangs onto it, and it counts as a world record, 133 feet. That record, that long-distance jump record, stood for over two decades. Of course, along comes modern-day freestyle. And we're getting into backflips, double backflips, and we're getting all these crazy tricks. And along with all the crazy tricks comes, well, who can jump the farthest? And uh started with Seth Enzo and a few other guys, and finally... Uh, New Year's Eve, 2011, Robbie Madison set a new world record at 378 feet and 9 inches. And his goal was to go 400 feet, and he he came up short by about 21 feet. I mean, so as I speak today, nobody has officially broken the 400-foot barrier. And at Snowshoe, I said, hey, we're at the top of a mountain. We can have gravity on our side. Any racer knows gravity can be your friend, it can be your foe. We can use gravity as our friend. We can set up a ramp, six-gear tap, we'll launch it, see if we can break that 400-foot mark. But instead of going for 400 feet, let's go to my hometown in Nashville, Tennessee. 533 miles. Which is Stupid. Alright? That's not even funny. You know, you are me with evil Knievel. <laughs> but your joke isn't even funny. And it's not meant to be a joke. It's meant to show you that is exactly what we do when it comes to restoring relationship with God. That is what we try to do when it comes to getting to heaven. We try to jump a jump uh bridge a gap that cannot be jumped. Five hundred and thirty three miles is impossible. And so this question came up in Jesus' day. Say so how good is good enough? A, a young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey uh, good teacher, tell me how I can inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the big ten. Don't kill anybody. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. And the guy says, oh, great. I've been doing that since I was a kid. I've been doing that all my life. So you tell me good is good enough. And Jesus says, well, actually, there's one more thing. Sell everything that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away in great dismay, for he was very rich. And Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, you know, it's impossible for the rich people to enter heaven. And later on he says, But what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, Jesus told the young man how to do it. Give up on everything that you're depending on and follow me. But at the time, nobody really understood what Jesus was talking about. Because at that time, Jesus was just a good teacher. The young man even called him good teacher. Nobody really realized who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish. But later on, just a couple years later, Jesus Christ ended up being executed on a cross for on our behalf, for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. And on the third day, he rose again and he triumphed over death. And that's why Paul goes on in Romans and he says, We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. So you see, the problem is that we were born into sin. (laughs) Maybe I was born that way. But because of Jesus, I don't have to live that way. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus restoring my relationship with God, I am no longer a slave to sin. I am not a slave to sin. But then the question comes up, alright. So if I'm not a slave to sin, why is it that I keep on tripping and doing the things that I don't want to do? Why is it, if Jesus has set me free, why do I keep on falling back into my old patterns and the old ways of doing life? And, and Paul did, explains that too in Romans chapter 6 he says don't you realize you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey you can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living well man I thought that if I accepted Jesus then I'd be free from all kinds of rules and laws and regulations and checklists we need to look at it just a little bit different angle alright Bob Dylan another 70's character alright Bob Dylan 1979 gives his life over to Jesus Christ And the very next song that he likes is a a song titled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And and the lyrics go, in effect, um, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage, you might have money and drugs, you might be a businessman, you might be a doctor, but whoever you are, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan, in that song, basically used modern day language to summarize Romans chapter 6, which means that we are to submit. To God, you're either going to submit to sin or you're going to submit to God. Now, what that looks like in my life is I've been a Christian for many years. But for many years, I did not understand this principle. I thought, all right, God, uh, here's my list of wants. Here's what I want you to do in my life. And I've used this example a few times with you guys that for my adult life, I've been looking to find the right girl. So I pray to God. I say, all right, God, here's my request. God doesn't answer. And so I say, alright, well, I don't mind dating this girl over here. She's not a Christian, but it's not a harm to go on a Friday night date. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to be careful. You don't want to do that. Submit to God. Don't date this girl and be bored on Friday night or compromise just a little bit. What is the harm in going to dinner? What's the harm in going to a movie? What's the harm in holding hands? What's the harm in a kiss? And around here, we say, you know how it goes. spooning leads to (laughs) farking. And that compromise ends up enslaving me, getting me into a position that I can't get out of. How did I end up here when I am free from sin? How did I end up being enslaved all over again? Because I didn't submit to God. And you see, my life is so much different today because I've come to a point of complete surrender. God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. I don't know what you're up to. Here's my list of things that I want you to do, but you're not doing them. I am still going to submit to you, and I understand that you're doing something in my life, and maybe what you're doing I can't see, but you know what you're doing. And God says, that's right, Chuck. I do have a plan for your life. Matter of fact, in this silence, in this desert that you li- that you think you're living in, I'm going to build in you character, integrity. I'm going to instill in you leadership. I'm going to bring you to a point in your life where I can use you. And last year, God sent me over to Egypt. That land on the other side of the world sent me over to Egypt. And me, little old Chuck, former, you know, alcoholic, goes over to Egypt, and I see a 3,000-year-old prophecy start to come true before my very eyes. In Isaiah chapter 19, Isaiah gives this prophecy that says, In that day the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. For the Lord Almighty will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Now the really strange thing is that when Isaiah wrote that prophecy, this is right in the very middle of Israel's history, Israel was instructed by God to never go back to Egypt. Never look at Egypt. I mean, you know how you tell your kids, don't even look that way. That's what God told Israel. Don't go to Egypt don't do trade with Egypt, don't buy your horses from Egypt, don't marry people from Egypt, never go to Egypt. And then in the middle of Isaiah, Isaiah has this really crazy prophecy that someday God is going to call Egypt my people. Now in modern day Egypt, you are either a Muslim or you're a Christian. And what that means is if you're not a Muslim, then you're a Christian. Doesn't mean that you know anything about Jesus, but people, if they're not Muslim, they get a tattoo of a cross on the underside of their wrist, and they're called a Christian. And, uh, and a few years ago, a group of true believers got together and said, how can we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our fellow countrymen? And so they got together and they bought this property about 100 miles out the outside of anywhere, out in the middle of the desert. They buy this property and they irrigate it and they plant some grass and they have a soccer field. Now, in Egypt, soccer is really popular, as it is, pretty much an all the world over. And uh, so at this soccer complex, it was one of the only places you could go to in the entire land of Egypt and have grass to play soccer on. So they started having soccer camps. And at these soccer camps, they would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were leading their fellow Egyptians to Jesus by using soccer. And they said, well, how can, how can we make this even bigger? And they said, I know. We'll have an action sports camp. We'll have an action sports festival, actually. So they brought in some skateboarders, BMX. They brought in trick basketball, kind of like the whole Harlem Globetrotters. But everybody that they brought in, was Christian and they shared their testimony at the end of the day they would share the gospel of Jesus Christ and people started coming to know Jesus. And they said, well how can we make this outreach? How can we make it even bigger? They said, I know. Let's bring in freestyle motocross. And so through a, a series of who knows who and because God is God, got hold a hold of team faith and said, hey, can you guys do freestyle motocross over in Egypt? Of course, yes, we can. So that first year, Brian O, the guy that started Team Faith, he goes over to Egypt with one of our freestyle guys, and we do freestyle motocross. And it's actually a pretty big hit. Everybody really loved the freestyle motocross. And a guy, an Egyptian guy comes up to Brian at the end of the show. He says, hey, uh, I want to talk to you. And he had really broken English. But he talks to Brian, he says, you know, this is really on my heart that, that what God is doing with you and your dirt bike, it's like an arrow. Um, your dirt bike is the shaft of the arrow and the gospel is the tip of the arrow. And God is using this arrow to pierce the hearts of the Egyptian people. And you don't know what your dirt bike means to what God's doing here in Egypt. And Brian's got tears coming down his face. He's like, are you a prophet? Guy says, I I don't know. Some people say that I am, but this is just what's on my heart. That your dirt bike is doing things in in Egypt that you have no idea. And uh, so I heard about that when Brian came back. I was like, man, I got to get to Egypt and see this for myself. Well, last year we had a bike that needed some maintenance, and I'm a I'm a hack mechanic. I can make do, and so I said, "Oh, I ought to go to Egypt and, and, and fix this bike." So I get over to Egypt. Well, at that time, word got out across the entire land of Egypt that freestyle motocross was in Egypt. You don't have to watch it on YouTube; you can see it live and in person if you go to this festival. And uh, so counterfeiters got got word of this, and they started faking the tickets. And they would sell ten thousand tickets per day, but one day we had fourteen thousand people show up. With fake tickets, you know, half of them had fake tickets. But hey, we said, "Come on in!" And when, when I would roll the bike out of the out of the um, out of the hotel lobby, because that's where we what we used for a garage, I'd roll it out and I'd fire it up, and people would just come flocking. And we go out and we do freestyle motocross, and just thousands upon thousands of people are cheering and just loving it. And at the end of the day, get all the people together in this big stadium, and and one of their countrymen, an Egyptian, would share the gospel with them in their own language. And every single day, thousands upon thousands of Egyptians were giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Had never heard about Jesus before in that day the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptian people. In that day, the Lord will call Egypt my people. It was amazing to see that come true before my very eyes and just to know that, man, I had a part, just because I changed oil, somehow that glorified God, somehow I got to be a part of a 3,000-year-old prophecy coming true. I, I am so unworthy. And yet, God uses unworthy people all the time. Look at Samson. Look at this, Samson, man. Here's a guy who didn't even want to be used by God to reach a people that didn't want to be reached. And Samson, when you read the story of Samson, he was so intent on living his life his way, he was so intent on sinning, basically, and yet judges said the Lord was in it in order to frustrate the plans of the Philistines. God had a plan and purpose even for Samson's sin. And that's amazing. That's, that's a scary thing to preach because if we preach that people that God will use you in your sin, well, people will go out there and sin all the time. Whatever. <laughs> God is so big, he can do anything. And God took Samson's sin and used it for his purpose. Samson never got it. Samson completely missed the whole purpose for his whole life. When you read about Samson, he was the strongest man that ever lived and yet he was the biggest victim that ever lived. He's all the time said, oh, I'm just doing to them what they did to me at the very end of his life, when people like to preach that Samson turned his life over to God, actually what Samson said is, God, avenge my eyes. And God's like, it ain't about your eyes, Samson. It's about what I wanted to accomplish through you. But go ahead, put yourself between those two pillars. I'm going to give you strength. You're going to crush, you're going to kill as many enemies in your death as you did in your whole life put together. And that's what God was doing with Samson. But Samson, because of his sin, he never did get to live into the joy of living into the purpose for which God created him. But here's the point of it is that nothing's going to stop God and what He wants to do. It's not what college you go to. It's not what house you want to buy. It's not even who you marry, though I would challenge you to make godly choices and all of those things. But God, He can use anything. And He's got a plan and a purpose. And as we sit here, and as we've gathered here together for a couple of years now, we understand that and we want to live into that. But I want to challenge you. There's, there's, one, there's one thing that when we say, okay, God, I am all in. I'm giving it up to you. There is one area where we really tend to we really tend to mess it up. And that is, in thinking that I am submitted to God, and yet I am trying to manipulate God. Alright, and and uh, what I mean by that is, God, I understand that you created me for a purpose. I understand that you put this love for dope bikes in my heart. I understand that you gave me talent. So here's what I'm going to do for you, God. Bless this talent that you've given me help me to go fast give me the whole shot today Keep me safe help me to win this race and I will give you the glory at the end of the day And in order to get God to do what I want him to do I am going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray and I'm going to come into a bike church All right, and then at the end of the day you might crash And break your tear up your rotator cuff You never know that doesn't mean that God isn't God But we tend to fall into that trap of saying okay God I'm submitted to you for my own purposes And God said no you're submitted to me for my purposes And this happened all the time back in Jesus' day. When you look at Jesus' life, he comes on the scene, he comes out pretty strong. First thing that he does is he turns water into wine. And his reputation spreads. And then he's healing some sick people. And then the lame people are walking. And the blind people are seeing. the deaf people are hearing. And there was even a dead guy that came back to life. And so there's all this hype that goes around Jesus during his day. And people are saying, oh my goodness. We have finally got somebody that's going to free us from the oppression of Rome. If we can make this guy our king, he will lead our army. If this guy can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, imagine how he can stock supplies for our army. And if we get shot, this guy can heal us. This is great. Jesus, you're going to be our king. And Jesus said, no, I'm not. I'm going to die. And his closest friends and advisors would come around and say, Jesus, you got to stop talking that way. Leaders don't die. They conquer. And Jesus all the time is saying, you have little faith. You have such little faith. Why are you so afraid? And and in other words, he's saying, you have such a small mind, you want me to conquer Rome, but I came here to conquer sin and to conquer death, and if I conquer death, why should you fear it? You're so terrified of the storm, but what's the worst that the storm can do to you? Kill (laughs) you? And you remember that? Jesus has been preaching all day long and he was tired and he tells his disciples, he said, Hey, let's get in the boat, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. They get in the boat and Jesus gets in the bottom of the boat and he falls asleep. While they're going across the Sea of Galilee, a great big storm comes up and it's a violent one. It's the worst that the disciples have ever seen. They're seasoned fishermen and yet they are terrified. And they go and they wake Jesus up, they shake him awake and they say, Jesus, you gotta do something. And the literal translation is, We are perishing to death. You gotta do something. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, his words are, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he says, peace, be still. And the storm goes away and everything is calm. And we hear that and we say, wow, Jesus can calm the storm. If you take Jesus into your life, then make him the Lord of your life, he will calm the storms in your life. But that's not what Jesus said. If that's what was true, then Jesus would have, uh, the disciples would have come and said, Jesus, we're perishing to death. And Jesus would have jumped up and said, well, why didn't you wake me up sooner? Watch this. That's not what he said. So, what's the worst a storm can do to you? Kill you? In other words, I can calm the storm or not, but either way, you do not need to be afraid of it. So, all this hype keeps going on about Jesus, and at the end of it, at the end of his ministry, it accumulates, and he comes into Jerusalem. And everybody's wanting to make him king. And they're laying down the palm branches. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waiting to make him king. And Jesus keeps saying, no, I am going to die. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And finally, one of his closest friends, a guy named Judas Iscariot, says, all right, I've had it. I'm over it. If you're not going to do what I want you to do, if you're not going to be the Messiah that I want you to be, then I've had it. I'm turning you in. I'm going to betray you. I'm going to hand you over to the authorities. And that's exactly what Judas does. And Jesus gets arrested. But it gets worse than that because another one of Jesus' good friends, Peter, is a guy who, uh, as Jesus is getting put on the cross, totally denies that he even knows him. Now, this Peter, this Peter is one that Jesus pulled aside just a short while before and said, hey, Peter, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And Peter, at that last supper, says, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will die for you. And Jesus says three times, before the rooster crows, three times, you will deny me. And there Jesus is in the courtyard, and Peter's denying that he even knows him. And then Jesus goes to the cross, he gets hung on a cross, and he dies. And all the hype dies with him, and all the hope goes out the window. And now what is God going to do? How is God going to use a scaredy-cat loser like Peter to build a church? What? How is God going to use a dead guy hanging on a cross? And they bury him, and all hope is gone, and all hype has died. And then on the third day, as you know, there's an empty tomb. And Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and He has conquered the grave. And one of the first things that Jesus does is He goes and He finds Peter. And He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, the game plan is still on. Your colossal failure. I was praying for you before it even happened. Peter, Satan came and he asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail, so that when you repent and you return to Me, that you would strengthen your brother, that the game plan would still be on, that you would still live into the purpose for which you were created. And Peter, seven weeks after that colossal failure, Peter preaches a message and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. 3,000 people profess Jesus as Lord and the church has started. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And Satan can't even stop it. Exactly. You and I are here because that, that scaredy-cat loser 2,000 years ago God's greater than that. God's greater than our mistakes. He's greater than our failure. He's greater than betrayal. He's greater than sin. And God has a plan. He's greater than the hype. You see, Jesus, because he rose from the grave, and this whole Jesus movement started with this guy named Peter and 3,000 people coming to know Jesus, that whole Jesus movement changed the course of the world. And you and I don't know it today. We live in a very, very comfortable America. But I have a friend in Ghana uh, who is a missionary, and his wife posted something on Facebook just the other day that was really disturbing. And uh, And I, I read it, and, and the conditions in Ghana are like looking in the rearview mirror of history. Uh, uh, there's, there's child slave labor. Uh, women are sold off as sex slaves. People are worshiping idols. Uh, there is witchcraft that's abundant. I mean, it is exactly like looking 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, the only people in the world that had, had respect for children and that would protect children and had dignity for slaves and we would protect women, those people were called those crazy Christ followers in the first century church because Jesus changed everything. And you and I get to live in a very comfortable America that whether we call ourselves a Christian nation or not doesn't matter. We have Christian values because we can protect children to the very end. We allow, women and men, we have equal rights, black, white, yellow, green. It doesn't matter. We're all civil rights. That is a Christian value. That's something that changed because Jesus came and did what he does and restored us to a right relationship with God. And so what's that, at the end of it all, what does it all mean? Well, Jesus kept saying, fear not, fear not. And so as we look at our lives and say, God, I really want you to do this thing. I want you to live up to the hype. Jesus is saying, "Fear not." Why are you so afraid? I can him the storm or not, and it's not your failure that holds God back; it's your lack of faith. Fear not. There's this one guy that epitomizes that, and his name is Paul. Paul was a murderer, came to know Jesus Christ. And he got sold out for the gospel. And he's going all around the Mediterranean rim. He's evangelizing. He's telling people about Jesus. And uh, he gets himself unjustly thrown into prison. He and his buddy Silas are in prison. And uh, they get down to prison. And instead of freaking out and saying, God, I was doing what you called me to do. I was doing the right thing. I got unjustly accused. you got to get me out of this situation because this is unfair. He didn't freak out at all. He started singing praise songs. He and Silas together singing praise songs. No of night, earthquake comes along and shakes the jail Rattles the chains right off the arms of all the prisoners. The jailer wakes up, realizes he's been sleeping on the job, that this earthquake has set all the prisoners free, they probably all escaped, and he's getting ready to kill himself with his sword so he could go out with just one shred of dignity. And Paul calls out, hey, don't do it, we're all here. And the jailer says, what do you mean you're all here? Y'all should have escaped by now. And Paul says, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and he leads the jailer and his whole family to, to, to Jesus. In the morning, the officials say, hey, Paul Silas, we kind of unjustly accused you of being in prison without cause, so you're free to go. Had they escaped, had they taken an escape route, they would have never led that jailer to Jesus. And then, they would have legitimately been a warrant out for their arrest because they legitimately escaped from prison. You see, what God's doing, so often, is He's saying, there's a storm in your life, but I'm the God of that storm. But child, you are so fearful and you are so afraid that if I were to deliver you from that storm, you would totally miss the purpose of the storm. Later on in, in, in Paul's life, he's, uh, he's on his last journey. He's on a ship. He's a prisoner headed over to world, and uh, it's going to be for his, 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 final, uh, his, his final trial and ultimately his execution. But the ship gets uh, shipwrecked. Big storm comes up. The ship gets wrecked, and uh, all, everybody, every passenger, every prisoner uh, makes it safely to the island of Malta, and they take some driftwood, and they start building a fire. Paul puts some wood on the fire, and a snake jumps out and bites him. There's a poison snake. Bites him right on the hand. Paul just shakes off into the fire as if nothing had happened. But the villagers there, they're all standing around, and they're watching. They're like, oh, hey, there's that murderer. He can escape the sea, but he can't escape justice. And they sit around, the Bible says they wait for him to swell up and die. And nothing happened. they're like, oh, he must be a god. And they start worshiping Paul. Paul says, no, 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 I am not God. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he evangelizes the whole island of Malta. And then continues on with his mission. See, here's the point. God can use betrayal. God doesn't allow mistakes to slow him down. God doesn't allow sin to slow him down. God doesn't even allow snakes to slow him down. God's purposes prevail. And where that leads for you and me is that he wants to use us. He created us specifically on purpose and for a purpose. And the challenge is is to go all in. Say, all right, God. I submit. I give it all up to you. And when you go all in and you allow God to change your life as he's done in my life, then all of a sudden it doesn't become a checklist of rules like I shouldn't be judging people or I should do this or I should do this. No, it just becomes a natural outpouring of love. And that love will change the world. So 12 messages preached this year. What does it all add up to? Go all in and there will be no regrets. God, thank you so much for this crowd of people that has gathered on this really cold day Obviously, you're doing a work on this series. You're doing a work on our lives, and we just invite you to keep doing what you've started. Thank you so much. Um, keep us safe today out there on the racetrack. Bless the racers. Uh, we're looking forward to a great time today. We're looking forward to meeting again. But most of all, we're looking forward to what you're doing in our lives, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.